Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program. Let's get started. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of the Truth Hurts program with me, your host, Steve Z. It is November 29th, 2021. We are almost crawling on the edge of December, which means a full year of the presidency of gropey, mopey, dopey, senile Joe Biden and his lackey, the fake black girl, Camel Toe Harris. I want to start out this morning by pointing out a few of the headlines that are going around, mix in a little Steve Z opinion, and see what comes out of it. Politico writes, Democrats want Biden to start swinging at Republicans. Allies are not sure that he can. It took three reporters to write this article in Politico, which once again begs the question, what, one person not good enough to write an article? And this thing is not very long to begin with. It begins, Joe Biden spent much of his first year in office proving he could still work across the aisle. That's a lie. Now with the second year approaching, Democrats want him, gropey Joe Biden, to turn up the heat on Republicans. I don't think he's capable. It says with the bipartisan infrastructure bill signed into law, Democrat lawmakers and party leaders say Biden needs to relentlessly hammer GOP lawmakers for opposing his economic priorities and hampering progress on the pandemic and inflation. They couldn't be more wrong. Here's the problem, my friends. The White House officials say they're eager to make a contrast between Republicans and Democrats, trying to show the Democrats to be somewhat successful. They are, of course, utter failures, and the midterms are less than one year away. Robert Gibbs served as press secretary under former resident Barack Hussein Barry Sotero Obama. He says the president, Joe Biden, is in an awkward position to get things done outside of reconciliation will require Republicans. But sooner or later, Joe Biden has to make this more a referendum on himself and his presidency and instead make this a stark choice between two very different ideas and philosophies. Contrast with Republicans' positions will be central to having any chance in the 2022 midterms. The only thing that Americans, in my opinion, have to focus on with regard to gropey Joe Biden are the utter failures of each and every one of his political priorities. Border control, immigration, total failure with now over two million illegal, invading, trespassing, disease-carrying criminals crossing the border. But Steve, why are you calling them all criminals? Some of them are just trying to come here for a good new life. They are criminals the moment they violate our immigration laws. You break the law, you are a criminal, period. Okay, number two energy prices and availability. Joe Biden has tried his level best to emulate his hero, little Jimmy Carter, by trying to make everyone believe we're short on oil supplies. When it is he who shut the pipelines down that brought the oil to the United States. When it is he who shut down oil and natural gas drilling until the courts told him you have to allow the drilling 
on federal lands and waters and public lands and waters and private property to continue. Let's talk about inflation. Empty shelves, Joe, and I did that stickers on gas pumps across the United States of America show exactly what Americans think of gropey Joe Biden's supply chain shortages, massive increases in prices for food, furniture, clothing, fuel, and all of the other things that we Americans used to take for granted. I don't know, under a Donald Trump administration? When prices were low and remained steady? When wages had gone up for the first three years of his presidency, naturally? When supplies were abundant? Jobs were plentiful? Unemployment was at its lowest point in decades? And job participation, even amongst the minorities, was at its highest level in recorded history. Let's talk about world tensions. I am a hell of a lot more nervous right now about China attacking the U.S. or Russia attacking the U.S. or even Little Rocket Man, North Korea, attacking U.S. interests than I was during the peaceful four years of the Donald Trump administration. Right now, I wake up every day and turn on the news just in the hopes that we have not been attacked by one of our enemies that have been emboldened by the weakness, the ineptness, and the sheer lack of ability of gropey Joe Biden and Camel Toe Harris. That's about all I have to say on this first article. Let's move on, shall we? Every single time that I turn on the television now, I have to be force-fed the lies of systemic racism or the fact that America is apparently not inclusive enough to appease certain minority interests or the homosexual gay community. Business Insider writes, three ways employers can de-center whiteness in the workplace and promote inclusivity. Let me read that to you again. Business Insider writes, three ways employers can de-center whiteness in the workplace and promote inclusivity. Before I get into the article, let me just say this. I can't turn on the television without seeing an interracial couple or two men kissing in a disgusting gay display of personal affection. I can't turn on a television show without seeing people jigging around and dancing around some hip-hop rap garbage as a way to promote products and services. Hell, I even saw a bunch of dancing tribal ethnic whatevers this morning on a Nordstrom commercial. Every commercial now has to have at least a majority of minorities in the commercial. There has to be a white man and an intelligent looking, well-dressed, thin, light-skinned black woman. That is the new Madison Avenue norm for advertising. For if you show Bob and Karen and little Timmy and little Susie, the white family, sitting around the dinner table with their little dog Spot. You as a company are not woke. You as a company are racist and exclusive of the minorities that you supposedly have to have in order to remain in business and profitable. And yet, on the West Coast, we have roving bands of 13% hyphenated American minorities 
smashing through store windows and doors and grabbing as much stuff as they can and running out. And yet on the six o'clock news, you never hear the newscasters say a group of black teenagers broke into this store or that store or the other store and made off with hundreds of thousands of dollars in stolen merchandise. You can't say that because that would make you racist for pointing out the fact that over 90% of all of these smash and grab robberies happen at the hands of 13% hyphenated minorities. But Steve, you can look at the television screen and you can look at the grainy security footage and see that these are black people. Why does the announcer have to say that they are black people? Because, my puppet-headed friend, they have to say it when it's a white suspect. And have you noticed the news media, the so-called journalists, have shifted their entire way of presenting crimes when they're committed by white people? as opposed to when they're committed by Blafrican Americans? But Steve, why do you call them Blafrican Americans? Well, to those of you new to the program, I was gonna say black Americans, but somehow that seems racist according to black Americans. So in the middle of saying black, I said black and I switched it over to African American. So it's Blafrican American. It's not racist, it's simply pointing out that these black African-American people are committing over 90% of those crimes, according to FBI crime statistics. Now, this article says, Jean Lee is the president and CEO of the Minority Corporate Council Association, an organization focused on improving DEI in the workplace. DEI? Come now. For those of you who are not aware of what DEI is, that is the acronym for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you can actually get a certified diversity, equity, and inclusion leader professional certification from several online groups. Diversity, they claim, is the presence of differences within the given setting Equity is the process of ensuring that processes and programs are impartial, fair, and provide equal possible outcomes for every individual. And inclusion means you have to have a proportionate number of minority representation in your group, unless, of course, you have more minorities than white folks. And then it's okay to not be inclusive of white folks. Decentering white-centric expectations at work, she says, is key to improving equity for people of color. Employers, she says, should focus on overcoming hiring biases and rethinking talent retention and promotion criteria. This is code word. This is dog whistle code speak for it doesn't matter if a minority is qualified, educated, or capable. You have to make places for them and excuse failures by them, or we're going to call your company racist. As the president and CEO of this organization, she says she often hears from lawyers of black, Asian, and Hispanic descent 
who are tired of navigating a corporate America that wasn't designed with them in mind. One lawyer who regularly fielded questions about her appearance as the only black woman on her team recently told me, quote, I have to work 20 to 30 percent harder thinking about microaggressions while others can spend their full energy focused on their work, unquote. Really? Are you that worried? Are you that ashamed of being a black African-American woman that you honestly think people don't like you because you're black? Maybe they don't like you because you act like a moron and try to play the race card at every possible opportunity so that you can use that race card to get ahead. Did you ever think about that? If everyone would simply focus on doing their jobs, they would be recognized for doing their jobs well. I don't know of a single employer that I've ever been affiliated with who says, gee, Tyrone sure works hard, but he's black, so I'm not gonna give him a compliment or a promotion or a pay raise. When you're sitting in the big chair running a company, you don't care what the color of the ants below you are doing. You don't care whether they're black ants, red ants, striped ants, lime green fluorescent ants. As long as the job is being done and all of the ants are doing what they are expected to do. Dig tunnels, bring food to the queen, let the queen make more ants and continue the successful operation of the ant colony. But in today's America, the ant colony was built on the backs of black ants, and the white ants get to sit in the bottom and eat off of the backs of the black ants, supposedly. Every ant has a purpose, and when every ant pulls his or her weight, and yes, I said his or her, because there are only two genders of ants, male and female ants. When every ant pulls his or her weight, the ant hill colony grows and thrives. In this article, it says, what's the cost of corporate culture that excludes large segments of the workforce? The answer, too much. That's why we see investors demanding racial audits of companies that they invest in. No, they're demanding racial audits so that they, the investors, don't get accused of being racist. Policymakers in states like California and Washington mandate greater diversity on boards of directors. So let's say you start a company. You start a company and it's your money that you put up initially to start the company. You spent your entire life savings building the company, but now you wanna get a contract to build more of whatever the hell it is your company manufactures. So you incorporate your company. You put it on the public stock trading arena, not the whole company, but you sell some stock in your company. Now you have to have a board of directors of your company. Generally speaking, it's yourself, possibly some of your vice presidents, people who have been with you since day one, who remember working 80, 90 hours a week to build the company into the success that it had become. And now you sell some stock. Now, all of a sudden, states like California and Washington can tell you you must put a black African-American 13% hyphenated minority member on your board. You must have a guy who sleeps with guys on the board of directors. You must have an Asian and a Latino, even if they only have one or two shares. You have to do that. You have to put them on your board of directors. 
This article goes on to say that one group hasn't fully embraced the shift, and that's corporate leaders. They say, of course, they have to bring up the criminal thug animal George Floyd. The article goes on to say, since the criminal thug animal George Floyd's death, they say murder, but it's death, they've seen a waning interest on diversity issues, or worse, a quiet dismissal of employees of color and their experiences. Diversity leaders are underfunded, undersupported, and saddled with unrealistic expectations that focus on programmatic window dressings. These people come up with this BS, I think, just so they can play the race card and try and justify their playing of the race card. The article goes on and blah, 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 and make sure you have a person of color in this position and that position and another position without ever saying, is that person of color only being promoted because of the color of their skin instead of, are they qualified, educated, experienced enough? And if they are, again, the queen ant does not care what color the ant is who is bringing her food and nourishment and does not care. It is her job to produce more ants. It is their job to bring food and build the ant colony. But by placing restrictions, that queen might end up starving to death. They might bring her rocks instead of food because they don't know any better. But that's just my opinion. This is the Truth Hurts program. And before I go totally away from this article, I just read the final paragraph. It says, a lack of diversity is the result of systems, processes, and standards that benefit white male professionals and exclude so many others. Changing these white standards will take work from all of us, advocates and people from diverse backgrounds. But true systemic change requires the active involvement and leadership in those in positions of power. And only then can we unleash the full potential of our workforce. <laughs> if the company is successful and the company happens to have had white male leadership to get them there, then perhaps that's the way it should remain. Just sticking someone of color in a position because they are of color does not guarantee that the company will thrive, much less survive. I tell you what, Ms. Lee, why don't you take your millions of dollars and your multi-million dollar home, put it out there on the market, take the proceeds and give it to some black guy and say, here, buddy, I want you to start a company and I want you to make it more successful than the white-owned competition. We'll see you in five years. Find out who wins. Maybe you'll luck out. Maybe you won't. But I'll put my money on the tried and true, the highly successful businesses that have made America great. All right, that's enough of this article. Let's move on, shall we? My next topic is a Business Insider article that says, the trucker shortage is fueled by a misconception that the job is only for low-skilled people who endure poor working conditions, according to an expert. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, there are currently about 80,000 truck drivers short of being able to properly run our supply chain. That's a lot of truck drivers that are missing in action. And according to industry experts, there's a false perception that truck drivers' experiences and working conditions are horrid, and that's fueling the ongoing truck driver shortage, according to experts. 
or people who claim to be experts. Conversations have long existed around whether America has been facing a truck driver shortage for years, according to insider's Rachel Premack. Really? I didn't hear of any truck driver shortages during Donald Trump's four years in office? Hmm, I wonder why that is. Truck drivers in some cases do experience perceptively low pay or conditions that they're unhappy with. And I say perceptively low pay because who is truly totally happy and satisfied with what they're making? Remember, everything that you do is related, relative to someone else's experience. I would love to make what a U.S. congressperson makes. That's just the legal money, not even the kickbacks and all the other perks of being a congressperson. And guess what? A congressperson would love to make what the president makes. And the president would probably love to make, the legal money that is, what the CEO of, let's say, Apple or Tesla makes. Everything is relative. It's true, this article says. Some truckers do experience low pay or conditions that they're unhappy with. One truck driver described his vehicle as a moving jail cell. Well, guess what, buddy? Go find another job. There's landscaping work, there's construction work all over the country. If you don't like driving a truck, get from behind the wheel. A local port driver who drives trucks around the ports, not on the highway, said her salary was not always enough to pay the bills. Well, that's relative now, isn't it? What are your bills? Are you trying to live in a luxury apartment and keep the latest fashions on you, on your salary? Maybe you need to cut back a little bit. If you got bling bling and gold teeth and nice clothes and a new ride and you can't afford to pay for it, girl, you needs to cut back. That's what the Democrats have been saying. Perhaps it's time Americans cut back. You ought to listen to your president. It's far from true that those experiences of these few whining, bitching, complaining truck drivers are the usual, normal, universal position of all truck drivers. According to Trey Williams, who owns a truck driving school in Florida, public perceptions of the job are contributing to the nation's struggle to find drivers. Your average entry-level truck driver earns nearly double the starting salary for a college graduate, according to Williams. He says most of the graduates from his truck have two or three job offers waiting for them before they even complete their training, with starting salaries between fifty dollars to $65,000 a year, and that's only after five weeks of training. Another example involves female truck drivers making six-figure salaries, according to insiders Hannah Toey. The bridging of the gap between male and female truck drivers there's very little difference in the pay. You're paid by the mile. Bridge the gap between perception and reality, and on the other side, millions of young professionals could find a highly compensated career opportunity that can literally make them the boss of their own trucking company operation in a matter of just a few months. That needs to be celebrated. That's right. You can go to school and in five to six weeks, you can have your commercial trucking license and be ready to start with a company immediately. And if you have decent credit, you can actually become an owner operator, own your own truck and trailer and drive it and be your own business. There are very few opportunities in the US, even close to that. 
Hell, if you have a medical degree, you become a doctor. You can't just graduate on Friday and begin operating on people on Saturday. You have to do residency. You have to do internships. You have to do all of these other things for years, generally working in a hospital setting. And then perhaps after years and years, you can break out and open your own small medical practice. By the way, those individual medical practices generally have an 80% failure rate. Another problem they claim is truck driving isn't viewed as sexy to Generation Z. It's not instant famous. It's not like being a YouTube influencer. Electricians, carpenters, brick masons, plumbers, they are all more and more scarce because the United States has not properly celebrated contributions that these hardworking people have made and continue to make towards building the country. YouTube and TikTok influencers don't expand our economy. It's going to get a lot worse here before it gets a lot better, according to Williams, in reference to the truck driver shortage. That shortage is expected to last for several years, which will, of course, drive pay upward. Took the Thanksgiving holiday off, driving down Interstate 10 towards Gulf Shores, Alabama, and every one of the 18-wheel tractor trailers had a sign on the back, now hiring drivers. Some of them said $25,000 signing bonus. I'm sure there are stipulations and restrictions. You have to stay there for so long and be accident-free and, and what have you. But can you imagine five weeks of training at a truck driving academy? Walk out, start your own truck business. Hell, if three or four of you go together, you can get together and form a company right after graduation, finance your five trucks, and be on the road as a company in just a matter of weeks. That, my friends, is the American dream. But you see, the Democrats and the mainstream media always seem to portray truck drivers, plumbers, and the like as low-skilled, low-educated, redneck nobodies. That's who built America. That, my friends, is who built and made America great. The hardworking brick masons, carpenters, plumbers, electricians, construction workers. Oh, you can scream and beg and piss and whine and moan and claim that without a certain 13% minority, this country would have never survived. Bad news for the minority. Not everyone could afford a slave back then. America was not built on the backs of slaves. That is a guaranteed promise. America was built on the backs of the hard-working entrepreneurial spirit of people who went out, secured themselves a piece of land, and worked that land themselves, and chopped down trees, and built sawmills. That is who built America. Yes, there were some slaves that picked some cotton somewhere, but that was few and far between because only a select few were wealthy enough to own slaves. And some of those slave owners were black themselves. That's about all the time we have for this morning's edition of the Truth Hurts program. Go out there and make it a great day. And remember, it is your hard work that built this nation. Don't let them tear it down under the false narrative of systemic racism. See you next time. Hello, crackers. 
Yo, white bread. Have you ever wanted to play the race card, but your skin is just too light? Is your hair too straight or too blonde? Do you have blue eyes? Is your nose pointy? You don't obviously have what it takes to be able to play the race card. Until now. New from Game Card Industry Syndicate is a full deck of 54 race cards that you can play anytime, any place that you want to. Four sets of 13 individual suits of cards plus two jokers that can be used in any situation where your white privilege is creating a scene. The deck includes 13 solid black cards, 13 dark brown cards, 13 light brown cards, and 13 Asian cards, complete with oriental numerals. There's also two jokers. One shows the face of Al Sharptongue and the other, Jesse, Jack's son. Your complete set of race cards is not available in stores, so you have to act now before this offer is censored by the mainstream media and social media platforms. Now even the fairest-skinned, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, freckle-faced, conservative Caucasian can play the race card. To order, call toll-free 1-855-BIG-CHIP. That's 1-855-BIG-CHIP. Like the chip on the shoulders of those who don't want you to be able to play the race card. Operators are standing by. Ask now how you can add a deck of LGBTQ cards for use anytime you need a gay pass. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed are free speech protected under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Thank you.